Good morning. Um, I'm Garrett Jewell. This is my wife, Andrea, and we've been attending TCC for about a year now. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading will be from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, in the New International Version. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor, and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who is made lower, lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Garrett and Andrea. Well, church, we have a, a special guest with us today. Some of you know Lori Muse. I hope I'm not embarrassing you, Lori. But uh, Lori, on June 20th of last year, had a terrible accident at home, fell down some stairs, broke multiple bones, spent five months in a rehab hospital. She she was out on Christmas Eve, but this is the first Sunday that she's been at church since June 20th. And uh, Lori, it's so good to see you, and um, our prayers continue to be with you. Let's actually, let's pray for Lori. Her most recent surgery was a a bone graft um, that's still taking some time to heal, and she has a follow-up appointment early March, and uh, and so let's pray uh, for that continued healing right now. Father, we just pray for Lori. Um, We know this has been a long, hard journey for her and Alex and their extended family, And, uh, and so Lord, we just pray, as we have been praying, for supernatural healing, for strengthening of those bones that she would be able to find again the strength and the mobility and uh and be able to just experience um the life that that she had and um lord we we pray that you would continue to in the meantime strengthen alex as he cares for her and for kareen and rod as well that you would just encourage them this day as they know that um, these days continue to go by, pass by, and they continue to trust you for healing. And so we join them in trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the delights of ministry is when you are able to come alongside people, sometimes both in great joys um, and sometimes in sadness and difficulties, of course, as well. But one of the more fun aspects of ministry, or maybe I should say funner aspects of ministry, are just some of the experiences or random encounters that we might have uh, with people. And, um, you know, we're kind of a public ministry. Our doors are open often. We invite people into uh, our church, and so we have these encounters. And uh, the community league, Twilliger Community League, often will use our church for their events. And one of the events that they host is a I'm too big for it sale. So 
we often get confused for the community league and sometimes the community league might even get confused for the church because we tend to take our events and go out into the community and uh, the community comes and uses our church for their events. So you can understand that there might be some confusion to people who look at this. So somebody sees this sign and so they called and left a message. And the message went something like this. I was driving down uh, the road and I saw the sign for the um, I'm too big for it sale. I don't know if it's my place, but I'm not sure if you're like fat shaming people or, um, you know, but gosh golly, I think you should consider a different name than I'm too big for it sale. And then suggested something like I've outgrown it sale. And so you'll see these two terms often interchanged uh, uh, when they're advertising because the community league still doesn't call it I'm too big for it sale because apparently they didn't get the message. Um, another, another funny one was uh, there was a lady that pulled out in front of the street here and parked uh, where some of you park facing the church. And she came into the office, and Tina was there to greet her, and she kind of had a bit of a quizzical look on her face. And she looks like, um, what exactly does angel parking mean? (laughs) If you've parked there, you know exactly what the sign says, right? It's angle parking. And so this lady turns many shades of red and is kind of embarrassed. In fact, she even came back, I think, a couple of weeks later and st- tucked her head in and said, Hi, remember me? I, I, I'm the, the angel parking lady. Um, Tina still wishes that she had just with deadpan humor said, Oh, that's where Gabriel and Michael park. <laughs> but she missed her chance. Well, we've just started a series of messages from the book of Hebrews called Greater Than where we're in fact exploring the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is superior, among other things, to the angels. And because Jesus is greater than, because he is superior, we are called to commit our lives then to following him. Today's passage that Garrett and Andrea read for us is really a continuation of the theme that was developed in chapter 1, that Jesus is in fact greater than the angels, And if you missed that message, Jenna did a fantastic job with verses 5 through 14. And I encourage you just to head to the YouTube channel and and take some time to to listen to it. Because if you have questions about angels and what they do, there would be a great resource uh, to begin with. And then last week, Pastor Adam had us thinking about the first four verses in chapter 2 and how we should be people who resist the drift that these verses, though, in verses 1 through 4, are almost a bit of a parenthesis as the preacher or the writer of Hebrews veered away from talking about angels to warn his readers to be careful. But now, in verses 5 through 9, the writer picks up the theme of angels again briefly, and that, of course, that Jesus is greater than the angels. And this passage... In in fact, rightly understood is a transition now from Jesus's, you know, heavenly position, this greater than the angels to his now earthly ministry. And so really, this message is 
for all intents and purposes, an introduction to verses 10 to 18 that Pastor Adam will unpack next Sunday, which I think is actually a really good thing because he can cover anything that I missed and correct all the mistakes that I made. And, uh, and so um, we'll kind of have uh, this theme for the next couple of weeks anyways. So we are gathering around the communion table in a little bit, and, uh, and I was thinking about this, that either this will maybe be a shorter message or a really lengthy introduction to communion today, because um, we're going to conclude our time together at the Lord's table, and I think that's so fitting. And I, I just, I have to smile sometimes when these things kind of line up, because this isn't stuff we plan in advance. We're not smart enough for that. We just kind of laid out the, pa- the, the series of passages, and then... Uh, We did a Sunday at the beginning of January where it was just kind of an open Sunday where we wanted to talk kind of about some New Year's things and and how we might um, better follow Jesus in this next next year through the use of a rule of life. And then we started the series on January 14th, and here we are on this Sunday, on Communion Sunday, dealing with, for for all intents and purposes, is a communion passage. And so then let's dive in. The first thing I want us to notice is that the writer makes this introductory comment in verse 5. And as I said earlier, it's almost like verses 1 through 4 were just kind of this parentheses kind of stuck in there. Of course, the writer had his purpose. But if you read verse 14 and then then verse 5, you'll kind of just see, oh yeah, the, the, the train of thought about angels continues. And so he says in verse 14, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. And it's great, and basically it's just making the point again, that as great as angels are, they're pretty spectacular in the way that they they serve God's purpose and how they reveal God's glory As great as they are, though, they are still not any greater than Jesus. And so when the writer says not to angels, he's actually talking about Jesus instead. And then by using the phrase, the world to come, the writer is again referring to the last days that he already talked about earlier in chapter 1. He's reminding his readers that Jesus, the Messiah, that he has initiated this kingdom but it'll be a kingdom that he will only fully inherit as his second coming. And so again, we live in this reality of the already, but not yet. Okay? There is a kingdom that's been established, but it has not been fully realized until Jesus returns. And so we live with all of the mess and the muck that comes as a result of that. You see, this world as it is, is not the way that God intended it. But he will come and he will make things right. And we look forward to that day. And so this future world, he says, essentially, they're not going to be controlled by angels, but by Christ. And so until then, angels will continue to do what they do. They'll reflect God's glory. They'll serve us. But Jesus will rule and reign. And so what is the preacher doing? Well, he's just simply continuing to emphasize this theme. Again, Jesus is superior than the angels. And as we've been saying, as we've been launching into this, the whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is greater than. And that's where we've last landed with this title. 
He's greater as we're seeing now over and over about the angels. He's greater than the prophets. We're going to see how he's greater than Moses, that he's greater than, than um, um, uh, the, the high priest. He is the great high priest. And so this is important to emphasize for the Jewish readers that Jesus is greater than the angels because Jewish Christians, in fact, when they heard this message, they believed that angels, in fact, ruled this present world. And so the writer is just encouraging the believers, now don't, like, place your allegiance with Jesus, not with the angels, because Jesus is greater than the angels. And then the writer speaks to the uniqueness of humanity. And so he introduces this section in verse 6 where he says, but there is a place where someone has testified. And so he's using that just as a, as a way of introducing the fact that he's going to quote from Psalm 8, verses 4 to 6. He doesn't actually tell the readers of the origin of the quote because he doesn't need to. You see, Psalm 8 was well known, and they would have understood that the writer, in fact, was referring to the word of God, which brings me then to my first point. God loves and cares for humanity. Don't ever forget that. God loves and cares for humanity. Jenna, in her message two weeks ago, made it clear that we are made to be loved by God. And we see this again here, but in a rather unique way. Listen again to the quote from Psalm 8 that begins in, uh, in verse, um, the second half of verse 6. It says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And so this psalm speaks simultaneously to both humanity's insignificance as well as their value and dignity. You see, when you go to the original psalm in verse 3 then of Psalm 8, it reads, When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. When I consider that, I'm left to wonder what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In other words, as the psalmist reflects on creation. And, 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 and if we just took that moment, and I've seen all these diagrams of, you know, the, the size of our solar system, and, and then the, the earth and relationship to all of that, and here we are, just this little, little blip. In comparison to all of God's creation, we're, we're insignificant. Because it's massive. It's absolutely incredible. Right? NASA, they send out these space probes, and they continue to go. For years, and I think there's even some like uh, decades, and they still aren't at the end of some of the galaxies. It's it's mind-blowing. And so don't we rightfully, like the psalmist, go, when I think about that, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? And so here he is reflecting on creation and all of its beauty and all of its majesty and all of its bigness. And in comparison, 
these human beings seem rather insignificant. And yet, you care for him. Care for him. Friends, I don't know what you're going through today, but I hope if you hear nothing else, you just hear those two verses. Because I bet there are times where where you kind of wonder, like, God, don't you even think about me? Don't you ever consider me? I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening in my life. And yet, you care for me. He's mindful of us. He cares for us. And you and I may not feel that or sense that, but we can know his love and care today. And whatever we may feel, whatever we may think that God, you know, has forgotten us, that he's not interested in us, that, that, that we're in fact so insignificant in comparison to everything else, why would he ever bother with me? But it doesn't change the truth and the fact of these verses that he is, in fact, mindful of us. He does care for us. Because he loves and cares for us. We are, we might say, really a, a creature of special privilege. Look at verse 7. He says, you made them, that's humans, just a little lower than the angels. So he's been making this argument that Jesus is superior, in a sense, in rank, and then the angels, and, but, but humanity is right under there. We're pretty special to God. And he goes on, he says, you crowned them with glory and honor, and you put everything under their feet. This last phrase, in fact, is a reference to God giving humanity dominion over his creation. And this brings to mind Genesis 1 verse 26, where we read, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So he has placed us on this earth to steward it, to to rule over it. And God, he says, goes on in Genesis verse 27, God created man in his own image. So he said, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. God who rules and reigns and is sovereign over his creation. And he says, you You as human beings are created in that image. Male and female, he created them. Created in absolute perfection. That we are not the product of chance. That we we didn't evolve from some glob of gunk. We're created this way. The psalmist elsewhere says that we are, I love this, fearfully and wonderfully made. If you ever have something go wrong with your body... (laughs) you can appreciate just how fearfully and wonderfully made and how all of the intricacies of a nervous system and an endocrine system and, and, and a muscular system and, and how all of these things work together. Have you ever just stopped and thought about the incredible uniqueness of God's creation? 
My niece just gave birth to her first child. And you can't look at those pictures and, and go, it is an absolute, unbelievable miracle. It is. And that's why children are a gift from the Lord in that sense. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And so God gives to this special creation of his the awesome responsibility to steward the earth and really a tremendous authority to take care of the world. And still in Genesis verse 28, he then says to them, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, angels are not given this authority or responsibility. This is given to humans. And that's why as humanity we have purpose and we have value and we have dignity. This is in fact God revealing man's destiny. So these are like just like throwaway verses. Like these are meaningful and important verses that speaks to God's love and care for humanity. Simultaneously speaking of our insignificance, our smallness, and yet our significance in God's eyes. You see, nothing in all of creation can be left not subject to mankind. God's intent was that humans would in fact reflect his image by exerting dominion over creation. And so it does, right? It puts us in a pretty special place. Now, I should add that some commentators believe that these verses here do not actually refer to human beings, but to Jesus Christ. And and if you have an NIV Bible, you will clearly see this in the footnotes. In verse 7, an alternate reading is, you made him, that is Jesus, a little lower than the angels because he became man. You crowned him with glory and honor because he was exalted. And you put everything under his feet. And Psalm 8 is in fact considered a messianic psalm when you study it. And so Psalm 8 is also about Jesus. And where I've landed is that I don't think it's actually an either or issue. I don't think we need to sit here and say, well, he's you know, debating the issue whether he's actually referring to humans here or whether he's referring to Jesus. I think it's both, in fact. And I think it's entirely possible that the writer was, was brilliant enough to just have this kind of double meaning here. Um, but the way I've landed is leaned more to understanding it that he's talking here first about humans. Because then he's introducing us to Jesus ultimately then later in verse, verse 9. Um, but I think this is just a beautiful way that God created and designed things. And if that's true, then why don't we experience the life the way God intended? In all of its beauty, and all of its glory, what's the problem? Well, simply put, it's my second point, humanity is broken. Right? We understand that sin entered the world. And if you go from Genesis 1 and then into 2 and then get to chapter 3, we discover the devastating impact of sin and the serious consequences of it 
We might even say, as one commentator does, that man's destiny is ultimately then restricted by sin. That God had this destiny in mind. He had this plan that his special creation, humanity, would rule over and take care of his earth. They would steward it. But then sin entered it and restricted it. And the writer of Hebrews addresses this issue at the end of verse 8. He says, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So yet at present, in this life... Not everything is subject to them. And so Psalm 8 is expressing this great vision, one that is true in regard to God's design, but it's not true in actuality because sin changed everything. The fall of Adam and Eve messed up everything. And so we don't have to go very far, whether we turn on the TV or scroll through social media to understand that humanity is incredibly messed up by sin. That rebellion has wrecked everything. And now, instead of the beauty of creation, our days are full of pain and suffering and heartache and disappointment. But we need to understand that that wasn't God's original design. And so now, instead of being in control, humans are dominated. Or they seek to to one-up other people and they use power and Authority for all of the wrong reasons. I do it because I can. But God took away humanity's authority over all creation. Everything that could be good was broken. And so now we live in this world. Chaos and confusion. I mean, who of us have not, like, just watch something like horrific in the news and just shake your head and just go, I don't understand. Jesus, make this make sense. You know, and and in many ways, when the original readers were reading this, when they heard this, they were living in times of extreme persecution. We're going to get to some of that in the later chapters where that becomes very clear. But because of their faith, they were being martyred. They were losing their, their livelihoods. They were, they were, as I said, they were facing this extreme persecution. And so we live again in this already but not yet. We know what God's original design is, but that's not what our reality is. And so we live with this tension. And so we have this tension where on the one hand, humanity has the ability to, to, you know, create incredible works of music, to do incredible art, to extend kindness and compassion in incredible ways, to be extremely generous in so many ways. And yet humanity has the capacity for extreme evil. We see this in war and conflict and atrocities to numerous dimension. I read a quote from Pascal, the French philosopher, writing about humanity. He said this, it's the glory and the scum of the universe. Doesn't that capture it? That, that, there, that there's this 
incredibly special privilege and special creation that we are, that we are, you know, God's glory in a sense. And yet we're capable of just absolutely terrible things. Romans 8, Paul captures some of this and he says that creation was subject to frustration. (laughs) That's a good phrase, right? I mean, I think we experience that sometimes. Why do we get so frustrated? Verse 22 says the whole creation has been groaning. See, the reality is that in this life, we will have troubles. We will experience suffering. We will experience sickness and death. We will be anxious about the future because there is this brokenness. This isn't the way that God intended it. And so humanity also has the potential to just deeply hurt and wound one another. But here's the but. What we see in verse 9 is God's amazing grace is ultimately revealed in Jesus. Oh, I love verse 9. You see how it started? But we do see Jesus. But we see Jesus. You see, Jesus was sent by God to rescue humanity. Jesus came Not to ultimately reign fully, that will come, but to suffer and to die. He is king. He is Lord. But ultimately, his purpose was to suffer and die. And the writer of Hebrews says, look to him. When all around you it seems chaos and confusion and conflict and there's stuff that we don't understand and there's hurt and there's turmoil, look to Jesus. It's not just a crutch. It's not just a, you know, kind of a, a psychological trick. But it's a truth to say, listen, don't get discouraged. Don't, don't drift in your faith as we heard last week. Don't, don't, don't pursue disobedience. Because the reality is, yeah, this world can be hard, but see Jesus. We're going to see that reference a few times in Hebrews, right? Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to all of verse 9. He says, but we do see Jesus. So now he's talking about Jesus, and this is why I landed on that that interpretation of Psalm 8 in this context being a reference to humans, because now he says, but we do see Jesus. Jesus, who was made lower than the angels... What's that a reference to? To his incarnation, right? Because humans are lower than the angels. So here is Jesus now. He's made lower than the angels, but it says for a little while. That's an important phrase, right? Because he didn't stay there. Jesus came and he gave his life and he dies on a cross But he doesn't stay dead. He's raised and he's exalted. And we worship him today. And so he's crowned with glory and honor. Why? He says because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, we don't see this in the manger. We see this on the cross. 
where God took his one and only son and he sent him to be born as a baby, to live as a man and to die on a cross. Jesus left the glory of heaven to become human so that he could reveal God's amazing grace to us. Pastor Adam will pick up the rest of the chapter next week. But how do we respond? How do we, when we understand that God has this incredible love and care for us, but there is, human, there is sin that has broken and humanity is broken and it's not what God intended. But then God sent Jesus to start to redeem the mess. You know, as the song we were singing at the very beginning, this is our God, that line, you know, you pulled me out of the pit. Because that's what he did. He rescued us. He redeemed us. We can use all of those words. But today as we gather around communion, I think communion itself is just this perfect application of this message today. Because it is in communion that we remember that Jesus suffered and died. We, in fact, remember that, as this verse says here, that he tasted death for everyone. So when we remember what Jesus has done for us, that he came to our broken world and revealed God's amazing grace to us, we have to respond to that. So let me give you quickly four responses. The first is that we should give thanks. Like, I I don't know about you, but when you think about, you know, our insignificance and yet this special place that we have in God's heart and mind, I'm filled with gratitude. When I think of what Jesus did for me, I'm filled with gratitude. And I think we shouldn't be afraid to just express a genuine sense of awe and wonder at that truth. To just, like, just think about that. (laughs) Jesus died for you. He tasted death for you. For me. Some songs try to capture this and we sing lots of great songs that express our thanks for the work of Jesus on the cross. One of the older hymns, And Can It Be, I think it just, it has that sense of wonder and reflection where it's like amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's the wonder. That's the awe. Like, I don't get it, God. But your love is amazing. Where I stand amazed. Again, just this expression of gratitude, right? He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died for me. And they're saying, what? Oh, How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is 
my Savior's love. So we give thanks. We should, our hearts should be like beating a hundred beats a minute, just thinking about the wonder of God's love for us. Secondly, we should spend time in confession and repentance. Whenever we come to the table, it's a recognition of what Jesus has done, that he died for our sin. And so it's right for us to recognize that, you know what? There's times when we blow it. Our tempers are short. We say things we wish we hadn't said. We do things we shouldn't have done. We go places we know we shouldn't have gone. We make choices to act in a way that is not in alignment with God's word. And so we sin against God and others. And so confession is just actually acknowledging that or admitting that. And just saying to God, I'm sorry. But it's not just to say sorry and to turn away from it. It's, it's to turn away from it, sorry. And then to remember this great promise that we studied when we looked at 1 John 1, 9, right? If, if we confess our sins... Because, like, if we don't, then there's another issue. But if we confess our sins, then he, that is Jesus, is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. As we sang Refiner's Fire this morning, I had to think about, you know, this is an older course that I remember when I was young, and, and there, there was a sense that as I sang, I was just like, yes, yeah, like I choose to be holy, set apart. That's the repentance piece. And so we ask God to search our hearts. Search me, O oh Lord. <clears throat> and we don't need to do that very long to go, yeah, you know, <laughs> this morning on the way to church. <laughs> or last night. And so what do we do? We keep short accounts with God. We have forgiveness of sin. That doesn't change, but we need to confess our sin and repent of it. Thirdly then, communion is a great time not only to express our thanks and to confess and repent, it's also a good time to renew our commitment to Jesus. To, in fact, kind of pledge our allegiance and our loyalty to Jesus. And it's important to know that when we talk about living an obedient life, it's not that we're living a, a life on some kind of a reward system, right? It's not, it's not like we're collecting points, you know, at Safeway or with our Air Miles card or whatever loyalty program you're a part of, that every time you do something good, meaning purchase and spend money, you know, you get, you get rewards. It's not how God's economy works because it's all grace. It's all grace. None of us could ever be good enough. None of us could ever do enough. But the reality is, we come to our place in our relationship with God where it's like, well, since you loved me first, I'm going to live my life in love and obedience. I, I I don't need to do anything to earn God's love. But because God loves me, 
this is the way that I want to live my life. And so let's renew our commitment to Jesus. And lastly, there's a commitment to sharing Jesus. You know, in some of the instructions around communion, Paul says, um, you know, and do this, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, every one of us is called to be an evangelist. Every one of us is called to share Jesus, to bring acts of justice into our world, to help bring peace and shalom wherever and whenever we can. In those broken places, we can be active and on mission to bring God's peace and shalom. And so we commit ourselves to that today. And so we're going to gather around these tables, not in a physical way because there's too many of us to stand around one table. But in a moment, the worship team is going to come and I'm going to invite you to just move out to your right in each of the sections. And so this section will come to this station and this section to this and likewise. And if you're at the back, listen to me carefully on this, just end up going to whatever line is the shortest. Um, because these two lines here will definitely be the longest because there's more people sitting here than on the outside section. So you can make note of that. But just go to whatever line is the shortest. And up here there's, um, there's bread that is gluten-free. There's a cup of juice. There's also the prepackaged one. But that little wafer on top, if you're uh, conscious of that, is not gluten-free. So you could take a piece of bread and one of the prepackaged cups and then just use it uh, for the juice itself. But what I'm going to invite you to do is just to hold those elements uh, when you get back to your seats. And again, the worship team will lead us in some singing. But I want us just to be thinking through those four action steps, all right? What were they again? Do you remember? Give thanks. Confess and repent. Renew your commitment to Jesus. And commit to sharing Jesus. Let's stand. Let me pray. And uh, Father, we thank you that on this Lord's Day, we have this passage from which we can think deeply about your activity in our world and in our lives. That we can be reminded that you are, in fact, mindful of us. That you care for us. That you had a good plan and design for your people. But we have been infected by the sin of disease or the disease of sin. And so you put together a incredible plan to rescue us to bridge the chasm between an unholy people and a holy God so I pray Father that today that this wouldn't just be a routine, routine thing that we do on the first Sunday of every month that you would meet each of us where we're at today in a deeply personal and meaningful way.
And that as we reflect on what you've done for us, that we would be filled with just a genuine sense of wonder and awe and gratitude and express that to you today. Father, because of your forgiveness of sin, we know that we can make things right very quickly and confess and turn in repentance to you. And as we do, I pray, Father, that we might then we just renew our commitment to following you. Because we are a people, as we heard last week, we're prone to wander. We can drift so easily. And that if we're not intentionally walking with Jesus, that we so easily can wander and get off track. And so bring us back to you, Jesus. And then, Lord, as we go to, from this place, that we would be people who look for every opportunity to share you, to share your grace, to share your story and our story. When people at work just are frustrated and the news or the events in the world, and we might just say, oh, it's not supposed to be that way. Our world is broken. And so maybe we find the answers not in a political agenda or some other means. But Lord, help us to see Jesus today.